Open your Bibles, please, to John chapter 15. John chapter 15. Two weeks ago, we were looking at John 14, 20. Brian just read it to us. And I said then at that time that this refers to our union with Christ. And that's a nice theological term. Several years, well many years ago and several years ago as well, I'd be reading a book on Christ, I'd be reading a book on salvation, be reading a book on growing in the Lord Jesus Christ, any of those topics. And every now and then the, the authors of some of those books would refer to our union with Christ. I said, what is that? Because they didn't define it. It sounds really good. But what is it? And because they didn't define it, it was frustrating. I wanted to know what, it's, what that was. But I, I didn't know what it They just assumed I knew what it was. Mm. Now hopefully this evening, when we leave here, we're going to know what our union with Christ is. And hopefully we're going to marvel that he would be in union with us and put us in union with him. So, look at uh, chapter 15. And I'm going to read verses 1 through 8. But we're only going to be looking at verses 1 through 5 tonight. Jesus speaking says, I am the true vine. And my father is the vine grower. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he cleans it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit from itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up, and they gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. In these verses, the main idea is the idea of abiding in Christ. The word abide simply means to remain, to settle down. It's the opposite of leaving. It's the opposite of wandering away. Jesus pictures himself in these verses as the true vine, the real vine. He is the real grapevine. He is the vine that produces sweet grapes for his father, not sour, useless grapes that religious phonies produce. Now he's comparing himself or actually contrasting himself to the hypocritical nation of Israel back in Isaiah chapter 5. So put a marker here and go with me to Isaiah chapter 5. And this will become much plainer. 
Isaiah chapter 5, verse 1. Isaiah says, Let me sing now for my well-beloved, a song of my beloved concerning his vineyard. My well-beloved had a vineyard on a fertile hill. He dug all around, removed its stones, and planted it with the choicest vine. He built a tower in the middle of it. He also hewed out a wine vat in it. Then he hoped for it to produce good grapes. But it produced only worthless ones. As a song from the 1960s said, the Israelites at this time had God in their mouth and blood on their hands. They were quick to talk about Yahweh. They were quick to talk about his covenant with Israel. They were quick to talk about the temple and sacrifices. And they would regularly, quote, go to church. They would even offer up sacrifices for their sins sometimes. They were very fastidious about keeping the ritual law. Kosher, sacrifices, feasts, festivals, observances, Sabbath, special Sabbaths and that sort of thing. But they were utterly wicked and lawless in their hearts. They were consumed with getting rich. And they didn't care who they hurt getting rich. They were merciless to those who owed them money because many of them were money lenders. They had gotten rich. They foreclosed on widows and orphans and threw them out into the street. They spent their days living in luxury, in banquets. Look down at, we're in Isaiah chapter 5. Look down at verses 11 and 12. Woe to those who rise up early in the morning that they may pursue strong drink who stay up late in the evening that wine may inflame them and their banquets are accompanied by lyre and harp by tambourine and flute and by wine but they do not look upon the deeds of Yahweh nor do they see the work of his hands. There was plenty of empty talk about Yahweh but they actually despised him Lots of religion, but they actually despised God. Look at verses 20 through 23. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness, who substitute bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and understanding in their own sight. Woe to those who are mighty men in drinking wine and valiant men in mixing strong drink who declare the wicked righteous for a bribe and remove the righteous standing of the ones who are righteous. In this, in chapter 5, we see that Israel was supposed to be God's vine. His choice vine. He chose them from among all the nations of the earth. He shows Abraham from among all the other idolatrous pagans of the earth and made him his own. They were supposed to be bearing the sweet fruit of righteousness, gratefully testifying to his character, gratefully showing the nations who God is, what sort of a God he is, and what he works in the hearts and in the minds of those who worship him. But here, all they were was a testimony to their own wickedness and their own self-indulgence. 
They were supposed to be a testimony to the nations, but they were just like the nations. God gave them a land flowing with milk and honey, and they turned it into a land of bars and brothels. They were supposed to bear sweet fruit to God, and they were bearing bitter fruit. So now back to John 15. Jesus contrasts himself to them. I'm the true vine. I'm the one who bears the sweet fruit that my father has always wanted. Not only that, I'm constantly bearing that sweet fruit for my father. Jesus actually does reveal God's character. Israel was supposed to. Israel actually does reveal it. And also when he says, I am the true vine, he's contrasting himself to temple Judaism of his day. The scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the priests, who perverted the truth about God with their bitter legalism. Hmm. And his disciples, the Lord Jesus' disciples, for the last 2,000 years, we've been wanting to bear that same sweet fruit, well-pleasing to the Father, that the Lord Jesus was bearing. And in these verses, he shows us how. Look at verse 1. I am the real vine, the vine that bears the good fruit. My father is the vine grower. He's the one that I bear the fruit for. And he's the one who takes care of me. He's the one who takes care of the vine. Then look at verse 2. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he cleans it so that it may bear more fruit. Every branch in me, that is everyone who's connected to the Lord Jesus Christ, everyone who benefits from that connection to the Lord Jesus Christ, that does not bear fruit. You see, not every branch in a vine is a true branch, a fruit-bearing branch. I have grapevines. I got scuppernongs. I have James grapes that my daddy planted 50 years ago. And so one of my jobs every January is I'm out there with the pruners pruning them back. And when I'm pruning, I find a whole lot of what we call suckers on those vines. These are, are little tendrils that come out that the, the vine sends out to connect itself to everything around it to hold it in place. If you've got tomatoes, you know that you've got branches on tomatoes, the leaves on the tomatoes, and then you've got suckers on the tomatoes. And the suckers won't bear tomatoes. They are useless. They take nutrients from the tomato, but they don't bear any fruit of the tomato. So that's what he's talking about here. He says, every branch in me, if I can put it like this, that's a sucker. The Father takes away. Every branch. Notice that. Well, I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's get back to what he said here. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit. Fruit. Hmm. In other words, it's what the life of God produces in those who know him. It's what the Spirit of Christ produces in those who, don't, who know him. The fruit is his character. 
This fruit is ultimately expressed in the Lord Jesus Christ himself. But this fruit is also expressed in the lives of Jesus' people, those who belong to the Lord Jesus. Galatians 5.22. We call it the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, self-control. That's what he's talking about here. It's expressing who he really is. And sometimes, when that fruit is being expressed, it results in converts. People ask us, I knew you before, I know you now. What's the difference? I really like what I see in you now, I didn't like what I saw in you before. And we have the opportunity to tell them about the Lord Jesus Christ. They believe, they want to know more, and ultimately they're converted to him just like we were. Sometimes that fruit is lost people admiring what they see, but yet not being converted. Sometimes that fruit produces just a revelation of who God is. It always produces a revelation of who God is. God is worthy of worship and worthy of praise, and they see that. Judas certainly benefited from being connected to the Lord Jesus Christ. Judas was given miraculous gifts. I mean, he went out and healed people, maybe even raised some people from the dead, when Jesus sent his 12 apostles out two by two. Judas cast out demons. Judas had high esteem from the the crowds that followed the Lord Jesus Christ. Judas had the privilege of being one of those 12 that for three solid years heard Jesus' teaching and watched Jesus every day of the year. But he was a sucker. He wasn't a true branch. He never had faith. He never belonged to the Lord Jesus Christ. We know that because he produced no fruit. He was always a thief. He never stopped being a thief. He kept the money box. He used to take money out of the money box to spend it on himself. He sold the Lord Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. A month's wages. He sold out the Son of God for a month's wages. He looked on the Lord Jesus merely as a means to get rich and to get high esteem in the eyes of the world. He never looked on the Lord Jesus Christ for what he is. That is an end in himself. That through him we're reconciled to the Father. Hmm. And he says here that his Father takes away or severs from the vine every branch that doesn't bear fruit. In other words, the Father severs from the vine every branch that has the benefit of being connected to Christ but never trusted Christ. Some of them, like Judas, are exposed immediately and are judged immediately. He died. I mean, on the day that the Lord Jesus Christ was crucified, Judas went out and hanged himself. That was quick. 
Some of them, like in 1 John 2.19, they went out from us because they never were of us. They started following these false teachers that if we ever get to first, if we ever finish John and I can get to first John, we'll be learning about these false teachers that were coming in and that were deceiving, can I put it this way, churchgoers who were professing faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, but who obviously had never received Christ. They knew about Christ, they knew everything about Christ, but they never submitted to Christ. He says they went out from us because they never were of us. They never had the same spirit we have. The indwelling spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ. Some of those were taken, I mean those kinds of people were taken away. That is they were removed from the church to keep them from continually polluting Christ's church. But they won't see their judgment until later on in their life. Maybe not even until they're old. Very old. Older than me. And die. And I want us to know another thing here that I was getting ahead of myself, but it's that word branch. I mean, every. Every branch in me. In other words, there's no exceptions. There's no hypocrites. There's no play actors. There's no false professors. There are none who, who only wear the name of Christ, but have never received Christ, that are going to escape the Father severing them away from Christ. There are never... There won't be any of those who only want the benefits of being in church. Now, the benefits of being in church are getting thinner and thinner. Well, when I was a boy, everybody was in church. Especially if you're respectable, you're going to be in church. You might not like it. You might despise it. You might hate it. But you're going to be there because people would look up to you as respectable and honest and somebody that they could deal with. So, some people want just the benefits from being associated with the church. Respectability. They're looking for good friends, not people who are just going to use them. They're looking for a support group. Especially old widows whose children either don't want to have anything to do with them or whose children live miles and miles and miles and miles away and hardly ever check in on mama they need a support group old men who don't have a family and especially old men who know that they're going to be sick for a long time they want a support group let's face it when I had my kidney surgery it was my brothers in Christ that came and sat with me and that stayed with me a, a night so they could help me to get up and do those embarrassing things you have to do as a man at night. And in case I fell and opened up that suture, that they would be able to call 911 and get an ambulance there. But see, some people just want the respectability or they want good, reliable friends or they just want a support group. They ultimately are going to be severed from Christ. Because they never entrust themselves to him as his, as his own. None will escape being exposed on judgment day. Keep your finger there and go to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. Jesus is talking about folks like this. Verses 21 through 23. 
Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. In other words, they made a profession of faith. But he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, in your name we did, did we not prophesy? In other words, we preached. And in your name cast out demons. And in your name do many miracles. Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. See, this sounds like Judas. I preached in your name. I cast out demons. I did many miracles. But my heart never belonged to you. None of them are going to escape. They're going to be exposed. And on the last day, they're going to be clearly cut from the hope that the Lord Jesus gives us. But what about those who do trust the Lord Jesus Christ? What about us who have entrusted ourselves to the Lord Jesus Christ? Look at the rest of the verse. Every branch that bears fruit, he cleans it so that it may bear more fruit. Every branch that bears fruit, that is every branch that shows God's character from his spirit in us. He cleans it so it may bear more fruit. He cleans it. That is he removes Anything that hinders it from bearing fruit. Anything that gets in the way. Anything that's useless. Like I said about my grapevines. I go out there in January. And I'll have long canes running out there that don't produce any grapes. I'll just snip them off. They're part of the vine. But they're useless. They don't bear fruit. And when he cleans it. When he cleans us. That's part of the process of sanctification. That's part of conforming us to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's cleaning us from our remaining sins. Now we're cleansed from sin and from the condemnation of sin when we trust the Lord Jesus Christ. I think everybody understands that. But we still are not glorified. And everybody understands that. We still stumble and sin daily and when we do the father cleans us he cleans us from remaining sins he cleans us from sinful habits that keep cropping back and he always starts out with the most obvious ones first it depends on who you are and what your most scandalous sins were when you were converted but he cleans those first he starts removing those from us first. It's amazing that we find things about ourselves when we're converted that we really don't like. And the Holy Spirit is convincing us of this. And then the Father begins convicting us through the Spirit. We begin repenting of those things. And He forgives us. He cleans us. He starts taking those things away. When we're first converted, there may be so you may have a habit, I mean a strong habit, that you know is not pleasing to the Lord and you want to get rid of it. Might be what's coming out of your mouth. In other words, you, you have so long had this vocabulary. And you don't want to have that vocabulary anymore. And yet you drop a wrench on your toe, and the vocabulary comes back. And it 
breaks your heart. And you ask for forgiveness and you ask, Lord, clean my mouth. And he starts cleaning your mouth. The most obvious things first, and then he just keeps on cleaning. We'll get to that in just a minute. See, this term cleans is present tense. It means he just keeps on cleaning us. Um, he cleans us of fouling we don't even recognize in the beginning. When I was in basic training, this is way back. You know, back, back when we were using muzzle loaders. No, when I was in basic training, and we would take those M16s out to the range back in 1970. We'd be firing all afternoon. You bring them back in the after, in, in the evening, and then the uh, sergeant in charge of the arms room, he'd have everything set up for us to clean our weapons. And so you're out there, you, you're riding out your weapon. You know, you you got the brush going in and out of the barrel. You're taking the brushes and you're cleaning up the bolt. And you're cleaning the bolt carrier and all these sort of things. And you're cleaning it and. Man, you know that's immaculate. And so you put it back together, you give it to the sergeant, and he looks at it and says, go clean this weapon. And you're, what? And you take it back and you look at it more carefully and you start with the brush, you start cleaning out those, those little specks that he saw that you didn't see the first time. And you realize, yeah, okay, yeah, it wasn't as clean as I thought it was. I just wanted to get this thing back in the arms room, you know. And that's the way the Lord does with us. He keeps on cleaning us. Because sometimes old habits, old attitudes sneak back in. And notice what he says here again is that word every. Each and every one who has trusted the Lord Jesus Christ is being cleaned by the Father. Now look at verse 3. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. They heard Christ preach. They heard him teach. They believed it. They believed him. They believed in him. And that made them clean. That meant that when they trusted him they were forgiven of their sins. And they were justified. Because the Lord Jesus' words is what produces faith. You remember in chapter 6 and verse 68 Jesus is been telling everyone that he's the bread of life and that they must eat his flesh and drink his blood the crowds are going why? and everybody left well almost everybody left and he looks around at the twelve and says are you going to go also? remember what Peter said? Lord where can we go? you are the one who has the words of life it's the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the gospel that gives life, that brings us to life. Romans 10, 17. Faith comes by hearing, hearing the words of Christ. What Jesus said, and then what the Holy Spirit later inspired the apostles to write about him. Hearing the words about Christ. You listened. You believed. You were forgiven. You're cleansed of your sins. That's the way it works. You are already clean. Because of the word which I have spoken to you. Now he said this before. Go back to chapter 13. Look at verse 10. Remember what Jesus was doing? Washing the disciples' feet? Peter said, you'll never wash my feet. Jesus said, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part in me. Peter says, give me a shower. Wash me from head to foot. 
Look at verse 10. Jesus said to him, He who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean, but not all of you, because he knew the one who was betraying him. For this reason, he said, Not all of you are clean. What Jesus is saying right there is, Once you've trusted me, you're cleansed of sin. You're cleansed of the guilt of sin. But as you walk through the world, as you go through the day, you're going to pick up something. You maybe stumble, or you may stub your toe, and the vocabulary comes back. Or that thought against that person, or this brother, or that sister comes up. And you repent. You're convicted. You repent. And the Father cleans us again because of what we pick up during the day. Now, I said this is going to be about union with Christ. And I've said already that this passage, the central idea in this passage is about abiding in the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, remaining in the Lord Jesus Christ, settling down in the Lord Jesus Christ, or if I can put it like this, staying plugged into the Lord Jesus Christ. Now in verses 4 and 5, we're going to take that and it's going to teach us about union with Christ. Abide in me. Stay plugged into me. And I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit from itself unless it stays plugged into the vine, so neither can you unless you stay plugged into me. I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. This is where the Lord Jesus Christ pictures for us what it means to be in union with him. And he makes it plain. Settle down in me. Stay plugged in to me. Keep trusting everything I've said. Keep trusting everything that I said about myself. Keep trusting everything that I promised that I would do. Jesus is divine. We are the true branches. The vine gives life to the branches. I know this is simple, but we need to hear simple things sometimes. The vine gives life to the branches. My grapevine, it puts its sap out into the branches. And the sap has in it water, it has nutrients, and it has sugar. It has everything that the branches need to bear fruit. Branches are organically connected to and one with the vine. You can't tell when you slice a vine and a branch right down the middle. You can't tell where the branch, I mean where the, the vine stops and the branch begins. If there is a continuous flow of fibers and vessels. It's all one. The branch is an extension of the vine. The branches are utterly dependent on the vine for life. The branches are utterly dependent on the vine if they're going to bear fruit. Grapevines don't, I mean grapevine branches don't understand that, but we are. We're understanding that. We are spiritually organically one with the Lord Jesus Christ because we trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. We are spiritually organically one because his spirit is in us. 
Look back at verse 4 again. I in you. In, in chapter 14, verse 23. Well, excuse me. Uh, verse 20. Verse 23 will be later. On that day you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. In chapter 14 he's talking about the helper he's going to send who is going to be him just like him and he's going to be in us. That's how we are spiritually, organically one with the Lord Jesus Christ. We're not the Lord Jesus Christ but we are one with the Lord Jesus Christ. We are utterly dependent on him and on his spirit in us for spiritual life for eternal life for abundant life. We're utterly dependent on him in us to bear fruit. Because he says apart from me you can do what? Nothing. Now let me put this all together. We are related to our Lord Jesus Christ like a branch is related to the vine. The branch is organically one with the vine. It's inseparable from the vine. You cannot pull a healthy branch away from a healthy vine. It's because the fibers, the tissues are all one continuous mass, if you want, one continuity. So there's no clear place where it breaks. You can't tell where the vine stops and where the branch begins. The branch is part of the vine. It's an extension of the vine. And the life of the vine flows into the branch. We're organically, spiritually united to our vine. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. Our spiritual life is an extension of his life. He is in us. We are spiritually inseparable from him because we are spiritually interlocked with him. We're so united we can't tell where his spirit stops and our spirit begins. That's why you come to something like <clears throat> Ezekiel chapter 36 where God says I will take the heart of stone out of their flesh and give them a heart of flesh I will give them a new spirit. I will put my spirit in them. Well, is he going to give us a new spirit? Is he going to put his spirit in us? Yes. Well, what about our spirit? Try to figure out where one stops and the other begins. No, you, you can't. His spirit is merged Maybe that's not the best word. His spirit is intertwined with our spirit. That's union with Christ. Spiritually, we're one with Christ. We're united to Christ. And how we became one with him and united with him was by faith in him. His life flows into us. He bears fruit through us while we're abiding in him, while we're plugged into him. Now I want you to look at the promise that he gives us there in verse 5. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. He who abides in me, he who stays plugged into me, he who trusts me, 
and listens to me and does what he hears, does what he learns. He bears much fruit. Not he ought to bear much fruit. He does bear much fruit. And I think I'm going to butcher my, my notes at this point. You may have been told in the past that if you just had this experience, that if you just had this ecstatic experience, that you would leap up in your understanding of God. You would grow exponentially spiritually. That you would be united with Christ if you just hogwash. Somebody may have told you, if you would just do this, do that. If you would just read your Bible for two hours a day. Or if you would just fast for two days a week. Or if, if you would just pray for three hours every day. That you would grow and you would know things that nobody else knows. And that you would be united with Christ. No. He says, if you stay plugged into me, just trust me. Listen to what I say. How are you going to listen to what he says? You can read his word for yourself or you can listen to his word being taught. I want you to remember one thing. Until the printing press, nobody but kings had their own Bibles. If you're going to learn anything from the Bible, you had to have somebody read it to you because 90% of the people were illiterate and they couldn't read anyway. All of your learning came from what you were taught, from what you heard. When, I, I wish I could remember this, this is, uh, Ian, uh, Ian Murray would be upset with me right now. Ian Murray is one of the, the fantastic church historians that when, when he dies, we have lost another great treasure. But Ian Murray, it was either King Henry VIII, or it could have been Elizabeth, I'm not exactly sure. But anyway, when the Bible was printed in English for the first time, legally printed, Tyndale's already been mur martyred, but when the Bible has been legally printed in English for the first time, and big, great Bibles were put in every parish, they were put in every church building in England, in the Church of England, and they were chained to the pulpit because they were so expensive, you could make a fortune if you stole one and sold it on the black market. And I'm trying to remember, I don't remember which church it was in London. It may have been Westminster. But they selected men who could read well. And from morning till evening, they started reading in Genesis 1-1. And they read through the whole Bible aloud. And the place was packed with people every day. Wanting to hear the word of God read aloud. So, remember that we, we are privileged beyond words that we have our own copies our own inexpensive copies of God's word that we can read for ourselves so you learn what he says by reading it for yourself or by having it taught to you and then you do what he says you don't need some ecstatic experience you don't need to speak in tongues you don't need to see visions none of that he says just stay plugged into me and you bear fruit not you ought to bear fruit you 
do bear fruit. That's incredible. To stay plugged in to the Lord Jesus is nothing more than to walk with Him. It's nothing spectacular. And as you stay plugged in, as we read, as we hear, as we hear something, was like, like today, when I heard something, and I came home, and I said, I got to do that. Lord, I ask the Lord, forgive me. I have not been doing this. Cleanse me. And I, I need to start doing this every night. Something I, I neglected to do. It's only going to take a little while. But I got caught up in other things. I got busy every night and I didn't do it. But we just simply walk with him every day. And you bear fruit. You'll show love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness. When I don't show long-suffering, I get a spiritual cane across my back. And I remember, show long-suffering next time. Long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, self-control. If we're just walking with him, if we're, this is how we're in union, I mean, we're enjoying our union with him, he's going to give us opportunities to tell others about him. They're going to come into the shop. And you get to start talking with them, and you know what happens. And you bear fruit. Fruit of his character. Fruit is well-pleasing to the Lord. Sometimes we're going to bear fruit as we're talking with people. They're going to listen. They're going to want to know more. And ultimately they're going to be converted. Hallelujah, that's fruit. Sometimes you're going to bear fruit because you'll be talking with people. And whether they receive it or not, it's well-pleasing to the Father. Simply because you're walking with the Lord Jesus Christ. But on the other side, let me put it like this. Don't let somebody lay a guilt trip on you and say, how many people you led to Christ this month? Because they haven't either. They've just bullied people into praying some prayer so this thug will get away from them. No. It's not how many notches you got on your pistol of people that have been converted. It's whether we're just walking with Christ. If we have received him, you are united to him. Just like a branch is inseparably, permanently united to the vine, you're already united to him. And nothing can pull you away from him. I give unto them eternal life, and no one shall pluck them out of my hand. My Father who gave them to me is greater than all, and no man can pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Yeah. Now, this was a lesson tonight. This really wasn't a sermon. But I hope we understand now what it means to be in union with the Lord Jesus Christ. You are already by faith in Him. Now, what we need to do is just stay plugged in. That is, trust him, listen to him, do what he says. Simple enough? I sure hope so. Let's pray.
Lord, thank you. Thank you that our union with you is what you do. Thank you that all of us that walk with you are abiding in you. We're plugged into you. Simply by walking with you. By being open, by being open to you. <sighs> Remind us of that this week. And when the, our conscience comes up and strikes us, our uninformed conscience strikes us and says, what have you done for Jesus lately? I'll remind him, no, it's a matter of, he's already done it for me. To you be the glory. In Christ's name, amen. Stand with me, please. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. And we are dismissed.